Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to The Business of You. Today's guest is Carrie Richardson. Carrie is half of the dynamic duo behind Richardson & Richardson, a strategic consulting company that helps other companies, specifically in the tech industry, grow and scale. They have a really unusual methodology and one I highly recommend that you learn about. Carrie has also bootstrapped and recently sold a company of her own called Everywhere Managed, which was uh, data call centers, or call centers, I should say. Carrie is a what you see is what you get person, and she is very much a woman in a very male-dominated field that really supports and gets behind other women. I really enjoyed meeting Carrie. She's got wonderful energy and, again, a mind that is extremely strategic and doesn't stop supporting you and helping you get to your next level. Enjoy today's episode as you get to know more about Carrie Richardson. Hey, Carrie, how are you today? Welcome to the Business of You. Oh, I'm great, Rachel. Thanks for asking. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. You are really doing business in such a unique way. Um, I you know you're in the strategic consulting and the sales and marketing space. You're um, both the co-founder and the partner of Richardson and Richardson, and I'm excited to dive into your story. There's some really unique aspects of it that I, I want to pick up on a little later in the interview, but initially would love to hear how you got to founding not only this business, but some other businesses as well. So if you can share your, your journey to growing a business in this space. Sure. Uh, so in 2011, I was uh, a personal trainer uh, and a kickboxer, and I found out that I was expecting my first child, uh, and I found out pretty late into the process. Uh, I was 22 weeks when I found out that I was expecting, uh, so I had to stop my job very abruptly. Uh, the kickboxing isn't really safe at that point in, uh, in uh, your pregnancy, and I didn't have anything else to do. Like I really like, okay, who's going to hire someone who's 22 week pregnant? Nobody. So what am I going to do? Well, what am I good at? So I thought, well, pretty good at cold calling and somebody would probably pay me to do that. So I just like opened up the paper and I started calling everybody that had um, help wanted ads. Like the, we still read the newspaper back then. Uh, and so anybody that was advertising for a sales rep, I just called and I said, hey, maybe you don't need a sales rep. Maybe you just somebody to schedule sales appointments for your sales rep. And I offered that service. It's an outbound cold calling. And I can offer you anywhere between five hours a week and 25 hours a week. And until I just did that until somebody said yes. And then finally someone did say yes. 
so I had my first client and that's what I did while, uh, you know, before my daughter was born and after my daughter was born when I, I wanted to stay home and, and nurse for as long as possible. And I was able to identify another few clients. Um, then I got a referral to somebody in the managed IT services space. I was working for a marketing company that did like direct mail and calling small businesses, asking them if they wanted to do a direct mail campaign. And he said, hey, I, I used to share a telemarketer with this IT company, but she's not, we're like, we're not doing that anymore. And they're looking for someone to make cold calls for them. Can you sell managed IT? And I was like, yeah, of course, of course I can. It's like managed IT. What is that? <laughs> so I, that's why I started doing that. And then I realized that um, after an introduction to a couple of this person's peers, that all IT companies seem to have the same challenges with sales and marketing, right? They were really good at anything that required them to, you know, be an engineer, but they weren't really good at anything that required them to interact with people and grow their business. So I was I like had this kind of lightning bolt moment where I was like, this is all we do now. These are the only companies we're going to support. And that solved a, a ton of different issues for us. Like now we only had to train to one talk track. We only had to teach our callers how to sell one thing. So instead of having at that time, I think I had three or four callers and, you know, we had a marketing firm and an IT firm and an accounting firm and, and something else. So I've got to constantly train. I need three agents for every one that will stay more than 90 days. So I had this huge like training and HR challenge around like, how do I, okay, the accounting caller didn't show up today and this person only calls for the IT company. So how do I, now I guess I have to cover that because I, I, I can pivot in between these things, but not everyone can. So it solved so many problems just going into that one niche. I only had to learn to speak one language, right? Now I have to learn how to talk like a managed IT services company. And then I have to train everybody else to talk about managed IT services. So that was kind of a, a happy accident. Like I stumbled into being niche specific, not because I thought, wow, this is going to solve all these training problems, but wow, it's going to be easy to sell to these guys. <laughs> that's what I thought, like, oh, this is a gold mine. <laughs> so that's what we did. We pivoted. We went from being called uh, cold calls and we were a Canadian distributed call center. So all of our agents worked from home. We moved our office to Las Vegas and we started a call center. It was called Everywhere Managed. And then we started hiring in-house and we only supported managed IT companies. And then we realized that the real money wasn't really with the managed IT companies. It was with the vendors that wanted to secure the managed IT companies as clients. So that we pivoted again and realized that the database that we had built was more valuable than the engagements that we had cold calling for the IT companies. So we had all this data and the, the first company we worked with uh, exited to Cisco, but we worked for them for four years, just calling managed IT companies and asking them, hey, you wanna do a demo with this product? Then that we worked for Cisco for a while, we worked with Datto, then they, we worked with them for four or five years and they became a unicorn while we supported them, which was a really exciting experience for us. We managed, I think we scheduled a hundred sales meetings a month for them for years. And we worked with all kinds of other vendors after that. And we, we originally did that by doing a pay for performance model. So if the company didn't show up for the meeting, you didn't have to pay for it. So you decided how many meetings you wanted you paid in advance, like a pay-as-you-go phone card. So if you wanted 100 meetings, meetings were $1,000. You paid for your 100 meetings. And as soon as we hit 100, you recharged the card and we'd start over again. 
Uh, and then we eventually changed our pricing model to be a flat monthly rate because now we had data that no one else had. So we didn't have to figure out who we were going to call. It was all right there for us. We knew who picked up their phone. We knew what time they picked up their phone. We knew what they were already buying, how big they were, what their revenue was, how many endpoints they managed. So now we had this treasure trove of information. So companies paid us not just to make the calls, but to make the right calls. So we went from, I sold that company in 2020 and started uh, another telemarketing company. Same company, distributed model, outsourced to a third party because staffing during the pandemic became impossible. And uh, now I've started a consulting practice with my husband, Richardson and Richardson. Uh, he focuses on strategic planning. He owned a managed IT company and that's how we met. We met at a trade show. And he's really focused on helping entrepreneurs get to their exit. And he implemented strategic planning at his company. I was also um, greatly impacted by the effect of creating and following a strategic plan in my business to the tune of like a 60% year over year growth and a 600% rise in my bottom line. So I was a big believer in the impact that strategic planning could have on any organization and when he said, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to sell my IT company, I'm going to start the strategic planning company. I was like, all right, let's do it. I'm in. So that's how it uh, that's how it came to be. And we're almost coming up on the year anniversary of starting that business. That's awesome. So you have not, have you had any professional sales training or you're just completely self-educated? Completely, completely self-educated. <laughs> that's amazing. I mean, you built, it sounds like a very sizable company, like pivoted a couple times. Um, and then again, like kind of staffed up, right. Launched this office in Vegas. What was the, uh, the connection with the Canadian, the, the clientele was in Canada. When we first started, we just okay. called for any, I, I li- grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Oh, okay. Um, okay. We moved to Toronto, I moved to Toronto, spent most of my adult life there, met somebody from Winnipeg, moved back to Winnipeg. You know, I had a child, bought a house, did all the stuff. Uh, So Winnipeg was a great uh, town at the time, but I I really didn't want to spend the rest of my life in Winnipeg. My kids love it there, though. So It's funny. I'm from Buffalo, New York, actually, so not too far from there. You can say hi to my friend Jen. She's not far from you. (laughs) Small world. We're finding all these connections, Carrie. So today you and your husband focus, like I said, on the strategic planning and the sales and marketing piece. What would you say, Carrie, is like one of the biggest challenges your your clients are struggling with outside of the fact that they're not really wired, right, to be doing sales and marketing? That's kind of not like those are not their natural ability. So it's it's obviously great for them to find you and to work with you. But what would you say is their their most common problem outside of that? Uh, not understanding how to convert different types of marketing generated leads Mm. in the same. So most of the companies, most IT companies, like most other companies, like they start their business and they grab a couple of clients from, from low hanging fruit, right? Either they take a couple with them when they leave the IT company they're currently working for, or they have like a parent who owns a business that needs some IT support. And they started their company by supporting their parents and their parents' friends, or maybe they start by doing some residential work and then they land a corporate client because the residential client likes them so much, but they're only used to closing referral based sales appointments. 
So they build their business through word of mouth and referrals. And they rely so heavily on the referrals that when they stop coming in, they don't know what to do. And by the time they call a company like mine, they're probably nine months away from having a sales pipeline again because the referrals just aren't coming in anymore. And they they should have called a year before that happened, but they don't. So now there's like a panic, right? It's like anything we'll do, we just have to do something. And they sign these like incredibly complicated long-term engagements with marketing agencies that promise them the world and don't deliver. They do deliver, but like what they're delivering is the type of lead that this company has never had to try to close before. So they're going into these meetings expecting that it'll be like the referral meeting they closed six months ago where, you know, their buddy Joe introduced them to another entrepreneur in their peer group. Like, hey, this guy needs IT support. Great, let's talk about that. Thank you very much for your business. And that's the type of sales meeting they're used to. Now they're going into, well, I already have a guy and he's priced lower than you. Yeah, we're not that happy with him, but like, what have you got? So they're going in, they're not really prepared to sell. They're prepared to close, but only under certain circumstances. So they come to us or to other marketing firms used to a very specific type of sales meeting where they're not having to do discovery, for example. They already know what they're upset about because their friend told them. So they understand that this is happening and this is happening. Whereas when you're doing sales discovery, you have to look at like current state. You have to look at desired future state. You have to identify the gaps in the middle and then show that person how you're going to get from there to there and build enough value in that process where they're like nodding their head by the end of it. And they can't imagine working for someone like working with someone that isn't your company. Nobody's taught them how to do that. And they're not investing in themselves. They're investing in their businesses, but nobody will sit down with a business coach or a sales coach or, you know, like everyone kind of looks at it and thinks like, oh, that's a scam. Like, no, you need to learn how to do this. And it's expensive, right? Any one-on-one thing is going to be insanely expensive because I could be doing something else with my time. So if you want to do sales coaching, for example, well, I bill $6,000 a day. And that's because I know that I can make $6,000 doing everything else that day. So if I'm going to spend all my day with you, you have to cover everything else I would have made that day. So yeah, it's going to be expensive. So they don't want to do that. But they also have this like weird fear around tipping their hand to their competitors. So they don't want to get into a large group of people and share what they're doing. And I was like, yeah, you're an IT company. You're not doing anything that's that interesting or secret, right? Like the worst case scenario is you're going to help other companies get better, which protects everybody in our space, right? The better your IT company is and the better your competitors are, the less likely it is that your companies are going to get hacked. And so it's not going to hurt you to share information with your peers. Like, I wish all of them would just get together in a big group and share best practices. They can do it for free. Like, there's no cost to talking to your competitors about how they're getting better at doing what they're doing. And like, no, we can't do that. So it's kind of like they're just by themselves on this island alone, trying to, like, figure out how they're going to get off the island. Are you are you ever able to do group work with them or no because of those reasons? We would offer group Yeah, Like I do a lot of um, sales training, for example, that Mm -hmm. would be group-based, but usually that's not a business owner learning how to sell. Usually that would be a business owner who has told their sales rep that they're going to learn how to telemarket now. That doesn't go over very well, by the way. Nobody wants to be a telemarketer. If they wanted to be a telemarketer, they'd already be working for me. Yeah, yeah. 
And in, in some of uh, your current consulting, do you all uh, use LinkedIn to prospect for clients? I don't. No. Okay. Um, LinkedIn is something I one, and I know this is terrible, and this is an advice that I would give to my clients, but I don't like to be sold to that way. Yeah. So I don't do it. However, I don't think that you should ignore any opportunity or any channel that's going to bring in revenue for you. And I think you should try all of it. And here's where it gets sticky. Then you need to measure it and see if you can improve on it. And so if you know, for example, that sending 20 LinkedIn messages means that two people will respond. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Now, how do you get three people to respond? But if you're just like willy nilly sending out LinkedIn messages all day, like to me, that's not sales or marketing because it can't be measured. That's just screwing around on the internet all day. Yeah. Yeah. So what I want to see is like, if you're going to use LinkedIn, great. Show me your numbers. Show me what you do every day to make money come out the other end of this funnel. Mm -hmm. Because just sending LinkedIn messages isn't enough. You have to show me how LinkedIn messages convert into dollars and how many LinkedIn messages does it take to make dollars come out the other end? And how much money is each of those LinkedIn messages now work for you? What does it cost you to do it? And how much do you make when you do it? I want to see that for any methodology that you would use to grow your business, whether it's LinkedIn or any other social method, email marketing, you know, what, how much money is your website making you? If you don't know the answer to that, well, you got to call Rachel, right? Like your website should translate into dollars at the bottom of your funnel, but most people aren't measuring it. Yeah. So they come to us and say like, well, I want to, I want to double my business this year. Okay, well, you're a $2 million business. How long did it take you to get to 2 million? 24 years. Okay, and you want to get to four in one. All right, tell me how we're going to do that. Like, please help me understand how you believe this is possible. Well, we're going to hire, so we're going to hire a sales rep. Like, you're going to hire one? Okay, what are they, you're going to hire one guy and he's going to make you $2 million this year. How? Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to hire someone experienced. Great. What are they experienced in selling? Well, IT. And like, so you're going to get a seasoned sales rep to leave their job at an established IT company where they have a plan and a process and a path to revenue and come work for you. Okay. How are you going to train them? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Everything just falls apart at that part, right? Like, right, so right. Before you bring in that hotshot sales rep, like here's something that the industry should know and doesn't. Sales reps aren't just wandering around looking for places to make money. Good sales reps are making money and they're staying put because they're making money. Yeah. Scam artists are flobbling around looking for people who don't understand their numbers so that they can leech off you for nine months and then bump to the next guy who doesn't understand their numbers. Mm. And that's how long on average a managed IT company will keep a sales rep that's not performing or a marketing firm that isn't mm. performing for them or in anything that isn't performing. Nobody likes to have accountability conversations. Nobody likes to fire anyone. And everyone wonders if it's them. Right? Like, oh, well, I don't really understand what they're doing. Maybe they are doing a good job. Maybe we are about to sign four or five new pieces. of um, No, build the process, then hire somebody to follow the process that you have built, tested, improved on. Right? I really want business owners to start thinking about how do they build the process that somebody will follow? You don't bring a sales rep in to build a process because they're going to build the process they want. You know what process I want as a sales rep? Something that requires me to do nothing all day and still has money fall at the bottom. You want me to build a process? You know what it is? It's uh, I'm going to sit on LinkedIn all day sending people messages. 
that's it. That's my process. Yeah. There's no accountability. There's no numbers. There's no, and then, you know, nine months later, when you figure out that that isn't working, then you have to fire me and start all over again. Now you're no better off than you were when we began. You know, like just invest in education for yourself, for the people that work with you, work with professionals, get yourself to a point of viability before you start making major investments in headcount. Yeah. 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 Or else you may have to let them go. And that would be terrible. That would, that's a terrible. It's such an ugly parting of the ways too. Like they technically did what you asked them to do, right? They came in, they built a process and they followed the process, but you have no way of knowing if that process is any good. You don't know if it's been tested. You don't know if it's repeatable and you're not going to know whether something is, so it does take a while for a sales pipeline to build. Yeah. So is the sales pipeline building or are they just doing nothing all day? Where are your points of accountability through the process? Where are your checks and balances? What are you measuring most importantly? Like what KPIs can that person control that can be reported on? And so if LinkedIn's the way you want to go, great. How many LinkedIn messages are you going to send every day? And what's the content of them? And what's the call to action? And how do we know if it's working? How do we know if we need to change something? And then how do we test it to make like, do we have to change some words? Do we have to, is it a volume problem? Is it a messaging problem? How are you going to know? I'm sure you have very similar conversations with your clients all the time. Well, it's the trial and error, right? And that's why it is kind of a high cost investment for the owner, because you can't just have like the cheap person doing the implementation because the implementation and the strategy, especially, you know, really until you figure out what works, right? Like they go hand in hand. So I've found it's very difficult to split that task into two people because you need the same brain kind of working on it. Yeah. Marketing. I mean, great marketing talent isn't inexpensive. No, not at all. So let's take a little deeper dive into your own personality and your own personal brand. How do you think people that have worked for you would describe you? Uh, they worked for me? Yeah. <laughs> Are they still working for me now or no? <laughs> uh, I think that people would describe me as uh, generous, but challenging. I mean, we're I'm always, I am happy to help anybody to the point, like I have, we hired almost exclusively out of workforce um, readiness training programs, so economic development agencies. So we hired people right out of prison, right out of rehab, you know, people that probably couldn't have gotten a job working for the types of companies that work with us on their own simply because they had criminal records or they had gaps in their resume that weren't appropriate. They wouldn't have made it past screening. So the people that we worked with, a lot of them came to our business experiencing food insecurity or homelessness or a bunch of challenges. So I think if you spoke to those people, you would, they would describe me as very generous. Like we wanted to make sure that everyone had what they needed. So we had like a food bank in our office, for example, if you were struggling a little bit in between paychecks, sometimes it can be a long time between paycheck. So when you start a new job and maybe you're in the middle of a pay cycle. So we provided breakfast for everyone. We provided lunch for everyone. We paid a decent salary and our variable compensation was based on metrics they could control. So as long as you were hitting your numbers, you were always going to make double your salary. I mean, plus we would help, like we would help people pay for apartments. We like anybody that demonstrated that they were in it to win it, we were going to support any way we could. So we have uh, people now like the, the company that I outsource all of my calling to now was started by a former employee of mine. She worked with us for five years and she has a seven figure business now. 
That's amazing. We supported her in the growth of that business. I mean, she had to do the work, but we were there right behind her, like cheerleading. And, you know, so to watch something like that happen, it's extraordinary. And then I've got four or five agents that now work for software companies where they have equity in that business, right? When that company turns, they're going to be millionaires. Mm -hmm. They were on food stamps when they came to work for us. Wow. So... What motivated you to work with um, that demographic of people or that population of people? Was it something philanthropic or, you know, is it something just kind of near and dear to you to help rehabilitate people and and get them back in the right place? Or was it like a strategic business decision? It was just actually maybe a little lower cost initially to... um, to work with that population. Some of each, like we like to describe it as our how became our why, right? Like how we did something, we were trying to solve a problem. We needed a stay, like one of the things that we discovered was that telemarketing is a job that nobody wants to do, right? Nobody dreams of being a telemarketer when they grow up. So we got a lot of applicants that didn't actually want jobs, Right. So we would spend hours and hours and hours. So much HR payroll went into reading resumes for people that never showed up for interviews. And then so many hours when it were earmarked for interviews for people that didn't show up and then people who didn't come to work on day one. And we had to totally rethink how we hired and how we and the processes that we followed to get a new agent set up in our business. Like we had to, we got rid of interviews completely. I don't read a resume until that person is sitting in front of me. There's just no value in it. We just automated everything. Anybody that applied was invited to interview. So we had to find all these little workarounds. And the most, the easiest way for us to do all of this stuff was to work with economic development agencies who had people who were legitimately like, I want to work, please help me find a job. So as long as they could speak English and they would show up at work every morning at seven, we would give them one and the state helped us pay for them. So that was great. But what we learned was that the the people that really wanted it, like people who didn't want to work easily dropped out, uh, you know, one week in, two weeks in, five weeks in when they realized they had to do this every day. So with the state compensating us for 12 weeks of training and our average employee, um, dropping out like people that didn't want to do the job would drop out day one day five day seven like we wouldn't have them for 90 days we could get come we could get employees from um you know zero knowledge to producing revenue for us within a 14 day period we were paid for 12 weeks to keep that employee and then we they would continue on to become you know a full-time fully employed agent of our business worked amazing Like it was a much better resource for us than anything else. But then we started like watching people's lives change, right? Watching people come with the hair done for the first time since they started working for us. Or like somebody bought their first car, their first house, someone was having a baby. Like it was just like a watching people's lives change was incredible. And then I I went to rehab um, in, let's see, I will be, I think I'm almost, I'm 20 years sober in November. Amazing. I'd worked in sales before that. And the reason I wasn't in sales when I started my business was when I got sober, I had to get out of sales. Like I couldn't do the boozy. Social. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I couldn't do the boozy lunches and the after work networking. Like I needed a full two years of just like not of getting sober. I needed to focus on getting sober. And I didn't, every time I went back to any of those activities, no matter what the paycheck looked like, 
the temptation of the three martini lunch sent me back into rehab. So several years I tried to get my shit together without like tried to get sober without actually doing the work, <laughs> which doesn't work. So then I thought, okay, well, what else, what, what would I, what do I want to do? And that's how I ended up becoming a personal trainer. I had to change my life completely. I had to change all my patterns and habits and hobbies. And you know, somebody gave me a chance to do that. And Jim hired me and I had to work this crappy shift. It started at 4am. I had to open the gym, clean the gym, manage the front desk until 9am, but they paid for all of my certifications. And they, so we're after working with them for a year, I got promoted into selling memberships and selling personal training. So I was back up to like a normal income level and I was still doing something that I liked, but there was no boozy lunches at the fitness club, right? There wasn't, it was a very different kind of sales process. So that was really cool. Like they definitely helped me get my life back on track by giving me this job and then slowly giving me more responsibilities. Like it was a big ego hit to be the girl that cleaned the gym. Yeah. Right, that's my job now. This is this is this is my life now. Thanks. Uh, but you know, came full circle and now I'm doing this. So yeah. that, I got promoted at that job because the manager of the gym saw me cleaning the weights one night. And she's like, Well, what are you doing? And I was like, Well, I'm cleaning the handles of the weights because everybody always cleans the things that their butts touch, but no one ever cleans yeah. the that their hands touch. And that's the gross part. And she had never seen, nobody had ever done that before. She'd never seen someone take the initiative to do anything extra. Mm. So a couple of days later, I got called in the office and I'm like, great, now I'm getting, I'm getting fired. What have I done? And she's like, well, we'd like to offer you this job. Now, and it comes with a, and it was like a $50,000 pay bump. Wow. Because I cleaned some gym equipment once. Yeah. And it wasn't too good to do this job. Right. And I think about that all the time. And it's something I try and instill in the people that come work for us, right? Like, yeah, this is your job today. But let me tell you about my life, right? Like, let me tell you where this took me. So cleaning the handles of those stupid weights took me to a job that allowed me to save enough money to go live in Thailand and train with UFC kickboxers. And I, I did that. I did like, I did so many amazing things and it all yeah. came from being humble enough to take a job that I thought was a little beneath me. Right, right. Well, I love how you took the model uh, that you experienced firsthand at the gym to your own business and helping people, you know, it it's such a full circle moment, right? And mm-hmm. you know that it worked because it worked on you. And your story about the barbells reminds me of like an undercover boss moment, right? Like they're, they happen to see their employees doing like this amazing thing, and then it really impacts their life. And that's something I, I think it's so important. I try to instill it in my kids even of, um, you know, that importance of like, or that message of nothing is beneath you, especially as a business owner, right? Like, I'm sure there might be times that you find yourself still doing something that maybe, you you know, you wish you had someone else to do, or you didn't expect to still be doing this occasionally, not all the time. But I, again, like, I just think that's part of being a business owner. Well, with starting a new business, even though I've owned, I've owned several businesses now, I know a lot more now. So I know like for my finances, for example, I understand my books, which I did not understand my books when I started my first company, still didn't understand them when I started my second, didn't understand them when I sold my second business. But I started this company with the understanding of like, we need to be profitable from day one. Right. So we aren't going to take on headcount that we can't support. We aren't going to we're not going to invest in our website. We did invest yeah. in our website, though. Um, 
we did that first. <laughs> uh, but that was the first time, by the way, like with Richardson and Richardson, that's the first time that I didn't like build my own shitty website, like in my basement after hours. Like, I was like, no, we are from day one, we are going to have a website that looks good and that does what it's supposed to and that collects leads properly. And that will be a priority for us. We're not going to, we're not going to DIY it this time. So that working with a marketing firm I found was just as much work as building the website. Mm -hmm. Like I still had to make all the same decisions. I still had to do all the same stuff, but I got to tell you, it looks way better than anything I ever came up with. Mm -hmm. Right. It was that experience was, it was rewarding, but stressful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing that I was like, it doesn't matter what it costs. We're going to spend it. But everything Why? else, it's like, because I want it to, I want it to wow people. I want people to show up at my website and go, holy shit, I want to work with these people. And that's like, people don't come to our office anymore. People aren't walking into our office and getting blown away by how much we spent on chairs, right? There's only one thing I have to really impress clients before they interact with me. And that's my website. So I want it to look, I want it to look like me. I want it to feel like me. I want it to kind of like, I want you to look at it and think, I know who this person is. I get them. I want to be around them. I want to be like them or I want to work with them. That's the vibe we were going for. And I didn't think that was something I could create by myself. I think I think they did a pretty good job of it. Yeah, I think it's great. I find it's also very unique. And one thing you shared in, in our pre-interview chat was um, that you wanted your website to kind of exude the sexiness of you and your husband, like the sexy vibe which is so unusual to just put that out there in the business world, right? And especially in the industry that you're working, the industry you're working in, but also your target clientele. So what made you, Carrie, kind of fixate on unsexy as an attribute that you wanted to exemplify in your business, like right off the bat on your website? Well, first we worked with a branding agency <laughs> and the branding agency uh, did an exercise with us to help us identify what our archetype was, like what was our brand voice and what was going to resonate the most with the people that we wanted to work with. And what they determined was that our archetype was going to be an anti-hero or an outlaw. And like, so they wanted uh, normally a business, if you're, if you want to build a business that you're going to be able to sell, it can't be focused on the owners. It has to be focused on a process. Mm -hmm. And uh, what our branding agency said was for this particular website, we wanted the exact opposite of that. We want you to be like, you are the brand and you are the product and it has to be a sexy product or no one's going to buy it. So it needs to look sexy. And I was like, I got this. <laughs> I know just the guy. <laughs> But that like sexiness is or sexy. Is that a way you describe you would describe your husband or describe yourself? Is that like an attribute that came to mind? I think yourself? so. But mm -hmm. it was less about like us being like physically appealing and more about the brand being sexy. Right. More about like, how do you spend your time and what are you where are you going and what are you doing? And how do people perceive you? So when I think about sexy, sexy isn't just a physical attribute, right? It's a whole aesthetic. Right? Like, how do you decorate your house? Is it sexy or is it just like a big white space? So what we wanted was we wanted people to look at the website and think like, yeah. And do you feel since you launched it, it is like speaking to your ideal clients and attracting them? 
I mean, we're closing business, so awesome. I have to assume that we uh, we hit the nail on the head with it. Is, is it something, and your photographs are really unusual so and beautiful. I encourage everybody to really take a look at your, your brand photography at your website, which we'll put, we'll link in the show notes. Uh, do you want to share a little bit of that story in terms of um, how you ended up with the photographer you had? Uh, so not we, how, but like, so we had, like we hired a photography company, like yeah. a, a, a well-known photography company to come to our house and they did photos, they did videos and we spent a lot on it. And when we got them back, I looked at them and I was like, could you have made me look any older or any fatter in any of these pictures? And I was like, I'm like a hard pass on 95% of these pictures. And then the guy I was working with said, oh, great. That means we've got like 20 that we can use. And I was like, no, not great. <laughs> so I ended up calling a friend of mine who shoots adult content in Florida. And I was like, I need pictures. I need them to look sexy. Can you help? And he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, no, no, not pictures. Like that. I was like, we're going to be in Orlando. Would you come to Orlando and like take pictures of us? And I kind of gave him our vision for what we wanted, which was like something like we wanted it to look, we wanted to look more like lawyers and less like IT people. And we wanted like, we wanted it to look like just, sexy like I keep saying that word but like I knew that he would understand what that meant right so he came to Orlando and we made a big a big party out of it so instead of just taking pictures we invited everyone to come to a hotel suite we got the you know the backdrop set up and he brought all different like props and just different things I guess to to set up the environment so we had different chairs and different lights and we brought in professional barbers from Miami uh, like celebrity barbers. And then we stocked a bar. We partnered with a, a cybersecurity firm called Huntress and we called it Barber, Barbers and Bourbon or Bourbon and Barbers. It was a year ago. So, and we had this like big, almost like a coming out party for the launch of our brand. And we, um, we had our company logo shaved into both like into the back of our heads and like colored with the company colors. So we didn't just like take those pictures. We also had like this really fun, like business launch party and people loved it. And this year we're doing it again, but we're doing it on a much bigger scale. Um, there's a gentleman in our industry named Matt Lee, and he has this great big beard and he is like a cybersecurity evangelist. He's very well known and he's a lovely man. And uh, I challenged him to shave his beard. Like, how much money would it take for you to shave your beard? And he's like, I'm not shaving my beard. And I said, what if I donated $100,000 to the charity of your choice? Would you shave it then? And he's like, yeah, I'd shave it then. I'm like, all right, next year at IT Nation, which is this event, we're going to do this. I'm going to raise $100,000 and you're going to shave your beard. And then we recruited like 15 more cybersecurity experts to do the same thing. And then it just like got out of control. So I'm at about $65,000 right now. So if anybody would like to uh, watch all of the cybersecurity experts in the IT channel shave off their beards, they can go to cybermatlee.com and find the shave that beard link. There's a GoFundMe there. And unless we hit $100,000, nobody's shaving. So got a little got a little left to go, but we're pretty positive. We had a bunch of vendors participate in uh, dropping like $10,000, $15,000. So I, I think we're going to get there. When's the event? Uh, November 9th through 11th in okay. Orlando, and it's called IT Nation. Okay. Right? They, I don't think they call it that anymore. Maybe they call it IT Nation Evolve or IT Nation Connect. They rebranded it. So. Okay. 
I just love how you uh, use and interject such strong aspects of your personality, it must be your husband's too, into just having fun with your own marketing and really, you know, which really helps you stand out in a in a space that this is probably quite rare in, I'm guessing. I think that it's easier once you like, he owned a business that he yeah. successfully transacted yeah. on. I owned a business that I transacted on. So I think you can be, you can take more risks when you have some money in the bank. Right? Like, so, so if it failed miserably, we'd be like, okay, well, that was an expensive mistake, but now we'll just redo it. Right? Yeah, totally. It does definitely come with confidence and with experience. And also I just think it comes with um, age, right? Like, who else you got to be yourself in growing your business. And I think what the, the more ourselves we are, the more um, we attract those right people. This is our, our like our new thing is this sock puppet, which we both <laughs> fell in love with. And we're going to start podcasting with our sock puppets. <laughs> this cute. is a disappointing dragon who uh-huh. never ever makes his numbers. Poor guy. And then we have excellent elephant who always follows process. So I, we're going to, Soon we're going to introduce these guys to our day-to-day conversations. I mean, if you can't bring sock puppets to the party, what kind of brand do you have? Exactly. Exactly. That's super cute for people just listening. Very cute sock puppet. Reminds me of uh, the Mr. Rogers neighborhood days with the the sock puppets on there. So that's awesome. So um, as we come to a close, I do have another another important question. What's it like to work with your husband and co-own a business? Ooh, I don't know. Is he listening to the podcast? <laughs> it's actually it's like there's lots of great benefits to working with someone who understands you and knows you. I mean, my previous business, I worked with my sister and my mother. Uh, so that's a little different from working with your husband, but there's lots of similarities. So we have very different I don't say we have very different personalities, but when it comes to work, we have very, very different styles. Like Ian is very focused on process. He wants the process built and he wants it followed. And he wants to understand why we're doing what we're doing before we do it. Whereas I'm just like, that's a good idea. Let's see if someone will buy it. And he's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not how it works. I'm like, no, no, that's how we're going to make it work. Like we're not selling, we're not building this product until someone buys it. So we have a very different approach to how we would normally do things. Uh, I intentionally well, made him, he, he is the managing partner of Richardson and Richardson, and he is a 51% owner of Richardson and Richardson. So ultimately he has the final say, because I think that he is a more level-headed person than I am. Like I am very, like I get mad really quickly and then I forget and I don't care anymore. Right. Like, so I'm very explosive at the beginning. I'm like, I'm the one who ends up always having to apologize to people. I'm the one who fires vendors without having a backup plan. Like that's, that's been my experience over the last 10 years is I don't learn from my mistakes very well. I'm very explosive and he isn't. So Mm -hmm. I want, that's what I want out in front of our business, like handling the things that would make me nuts. Like Mm -hmm. we're negotiating a contract, we're changing CRM systems right now. So we have to negotiate a contract with a new vendor. He's doing that. So I am very, very appreciative that I have a business partner that can and will do the process oriented, organized things that I find painful. Whereas he's not a big fan of cold calling, right? So if somebody's going to drive new business development, that's going to be me because I have no problem getting on the phone and stumbling through something until I figure out what the script is. I don't mind looking dumb while I figure it out. 
And so we both have, we both bring different things to the party. Um, when we don't agree on something, we're both able to put a pin in it, which is a skill that we developed through focus and therapy and talking to other people. Like we've both done a lot of therapy. We've both tried to figure out what are our triggers and how do we avoid them? And if things are getting heated in a business conversation, how do we not take that home with us? If I'm pissed off about a decision that he's made that I don't agree with, how do I not bring that to dinner with me? And we have figured out a way where we can say, okay, like we're going to put this away. Like we're either not ready to talk about it or we're not able to talk about it in a way where we're solving a problem yet. Like Mm -hmm. we're just talking at each other right now and that's not solving anything. I mean, Mm -hmm. we haven't been married that long either. We've only been married a year. So who knows what it'll be like in five years, but right now it's good. So you launched the business a year ago and got married a year ago. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, you sound like a very self-aware person. I mean, and I love how you and your husband just had an open conversation about who's the majority owner in this and who's the final decision maker. I mean, that, that sounds extremely grounded and very thoughtful um, and a great way to just avoid potential problems. I think 50, 50 partnerships are challenging, right? Yeah, like there's always like you could get hung up forever trying to solve the smallest and dumbest of problems. And I think both of you will disagree from time to time on what a small problem is or what a dumb problem is, or like, if I'm obsessed about a particular thing and he's saying like, that's not where we are today. That's not on the roadmap right now. We're not focused on that yet. Like we do a strategic plan every year, right? This is, we're coming up on uh, our strategic plan renewal. It'll be in November and we will go through our strategic plan and we will, at the end of that three day period, we will want to strangle each other and we will need a day away from each other after that. But we will have a plan that we're going to follow for the full next year. And we're not going to deviate from it, even if Carrie wants to. And Carrie always wants to, because I see opportunities everywhere I want to do everything. I think that'll make money. I think that'll make it. And I need somebody who's going to say, go look at the plan. Is it on the plan? No. Then it goes in the bucket. Put it in the idea bucket. We're not working on that this year. And I need that kind of level-headed, like, no, we'll do the thing you said you would do. Like, I need that accountability partner. I don't need someone that's going to let me do whatever I want. I need someone who's going to kind of take control of it and say, like, no, Carrie, we agreed to this. Here is where you signed off on it. Right, right. You sound like you're more of the visionary, right? And kind of the classic entrepreneur of the, you know, where is that next shiny object? It's hard not to be attracted to it, right? But in order to scale and meet tremendous success, like you also have, you you need to stay focused on the plan, which is hard for people that like innovation and new things. So Oh, but I'd I'm, start business every week if uh, if I could get away with it. I like I just love new ideas and I love figuring out how to monetize new ideas. But we already have good ideas that are monetized, right? Like let's yeah. focus on those right now. And then when we've got enough revenue that it doesn't matter whether or not your idea succeeds or fails, right? Like when you've gotten to the point where you could have a couple dogs, yeah, and it won't impact you, right? Well, then you can go run fast and loose for a while. But right now we're in growth mode. We need to be mindful of what we're spending and where we're, most importantly, where we're investing our energy. And I'm like, I want to be everywhere. So I need someone to just kind of like laser focus me on the task that I'm supposed to be on and notice when I'm not there. So without a partner, like I owned hundred percent of my last business. So you could try to keep me in line, 
but I didn't have to listen to you. Now I do have to listen to someone and it keeps me a little bit more focused on where I need to be on any given day, moving mm-hmm. towards goals and targets that, you know, I've already agreed that were reasonable. Right. So I get a lot of the, like, help me understand why you spent all day doing this mm-hmm. when what you really need to be doing is this. And I'm like, oh, okay, you're right. Funny. Last question for you, Carrie. What habit or uh, personality trait or strengths of yours would you attribute to your success? I think just a like grit, honestly, more than anything else. Like it was, I just refused to fail. When I started my business, I had no, I had no money. I had no access to credit. I mean, I'd been a a raving lunatic party girl for most of my life. I ruined my credit twice. So it wasn't like any bank in the world was going to hand me money to to, to lose. So I had like, I had nothing. I'd never run a business before. And I just had to like figure it out. And every day it was just like, whatever, figure it out, whatever, figure it out. I like when I sold my last business, I bought myself a great big neon sign and it says, nobody cares, work harder. And like, I don't want to hear about your problems, just do your job, right? Like whatever you can have a, you can have a little fit at 5 PM, but right now you have this thing to do, right? Like just move forward constantly. You can't spend your time obsessing about the dumb thing you said yesterday in that meeting or the mistake that you made that just cost you $50,000. Like you cannot live your life in the past. You have to keep moving forward. So just like going, going, I refuse to fail. I just refuse to fail. That's a great mindset. So in closing, where's the best place for people to find out about you? Uh, You can head over to r&r.consulting. And uh, there's a a calendar there if you want to connect with myself or with Ian. um, And it's r&r dot consulting forward slash connect. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. If you want to connect there, my uh, LinkedIn name is tinfoil hat too, because of my great fear of uh, AI and technology and where it's going. It's a conversation for another day, but that's a, that's the only social media platform that I participate in at this point. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carrie. It's been so great learning more about you. Oh, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Business of You. If you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new, please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two. Interested in building your brand and business? Tune in next time to The Business of You podcast. And remember, there's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.